0: Hello everybody, welcome back to the Talking City podcast, another edition of the Talking City podcast. We're absolutely filling the podcast sphere at the minute and I hope you're enjoying. Um, It seems to be a lot of love for us on on all of your podcast providers and you can see us on uh, YouTube as well if you want to see this in visual colour to see our faces, which I'm sure Joe will be sticking to the podcast format. Um, But we're back here to be discussing uh, everything Manchester City at this moment in time. But first of all, Joe Bray, how are you doing, mate?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Nice little trip over the Pennines to Yorkshire yesterday, and uh, a very good game to boot.
0: God's County, mate. God's County. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, obviously Sheffield United. You can't
1: say that on a City
0: podcast. <laughs> <laughs> God's County, uh, Sheffield United won. Uh, Man City two. Um, first of all, Joe, how was the trip? Was it a nice? It, was, it looked like a. It looked like a, 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 a Yorkshire setting, baked in sunshine yesterday.
1: Yeah I I don't like saying this as a Lancastrian but as soon as we went over the border into Yorkshire it was it went from horrible weather and mist and fog over the tops to glorious sunshine and it was just a lovely day a lovely day for football uh, very windy inside Bramall Lane uh, I think it had its own climate I was shivering at the top of that stand in the uh, press box and then we came out and I was boiling and it was a lovely weather. But, uh, yeah, no, it was a, a good day for football and a, just a good atmosphere. Like, when that stadium's packed, it's it's a really good one to be in. And, you know, the, the Sheffield United fans really got behind the team and uh, it made a, a bit of an awkward one for City, but they got through it. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a good win in the end.
0: Yeah, it sounded like a really good atmosphere. You could, you could hear the City fans as well um, um, really blasting out and it sounded like it was a, a real good concoction of noise there, Joe. Was that... Yeah, I mean, like you just said, it, it sounded booming on the TV. Both both fans really giving it all.
1: Well, that's good to hear because at the top of the main stand, obviously surrounded by all the Sheffield United fans, I couldn't hear the City fans as much. I could see them clapping their hands and singing, so I knew they were making noise, but it didn't travel up to the top. But I think when you've got those fans in that bottom tier and Sheffield United fans all the way around, it was, uh, yeah, it was just noisy all the way through. And when when they got the equaliser. I've not heard a noise like that in in quite a while. It was a just a, a massive release of noise, and it was a really good atmosphere to to be in. And uh, no, it was it was it was enjoyable because when you go to those sort of smaller thirty thousand seat stadiums, rather than your forty and, and 60,000, it's a different type of of game, isn't it? And when you can really get behind your team, and they were getting on the referees' back, I'm not really sure. How much merit that had, but they decided that the referee was the enemy on the day. Everything he did was booed. Everything that you know, City did to try and wind them up was booed. It was. Uh, it felt like a, a bit of a cup tie, a bit of a, sort of an FA Cup feel to it. But uh, no, it was. I mean, you look at players like Harland and Grealish; they must love that sort of atmosphere to to be in, and especially when you get a late winner at the same time. It was, must be even better.
0: Yeah, I don't know if you if you caught it, but you probably were you wouldn't have done, but I don't know if you caught it on the highlights afterwards. But it, <laughs> they had it in the corner towards the end and Grealish was evidently just getting absolute pelters and he just smiling. And then Haaland came and joined him, you know, keeping the ball in the corner and Haaland was smiling and the cameras picked it up and stuff like that. And you, you're actually bang on, it is... Is a city player, especially when you know you've got that quality in and around you to just end games? Um, it must be brilliant to be playing in those atmospheres because the likelihood is you're going to win.
1: <laughs> well, they were booing Grealish from the start, and I said to Simon, I was like, does he have history with Sheffield United, or are they just booing him because he's, he's Jack Grealish and we've, we didn't get to the bottom of that? But uh, he always seems to do better when, when he's got someone on his back as well. And when you see Haaland sort of keeping the ball in the corner and winning successions of corners, you almost get the sense he enjoys that just as much as scoring goals. Mm. We've seen him do it in the past in, in big games against Man United, for example. But um yeah, he, he is very good at that and he, he loves that aspect of the game as as well. How was the how was the food? at landed Lane? Did they put on a nice spread? um bacon butties with hash browns in which was it's quite nice for uh, oh. we, we got there about 11 o'clock so it was still a lunchtime morning so it was uh yeah not not the worst i've had uh, you know a proper yorkshire welcome
0: <laughs> <laughs> you adding brown sauce to that or not joe what are you doing with that
1: oh no no red no. sauce all the way
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a shocker right let's get in the foot- into the football into the football um so yeah uh mad game crazy game like i thought and we were just talking off air it was a fantastic game i thought and I mean, you were just saying, Joe, and I agree as well. Like it seemed to be criticised a lot, I was watching matches today last night, and it was it was quite. They weren't really enthused about it, to be quite honest with you. But um, City completely dominant, I thought, in that first half, and it, it didn't look like it was just, you know. Uh, you know, a uh, Premier League apart in terms of quality, which it is, it looked like divisions apart. I mean, they couldn't touch the ball, and every time they seemed to touch the ball, City, uh, sorry, Sheffield United, it was Olaid. And any time they'd get beyond the halfway line, it was Olaid, really. And it was, um, yeah, City were pretty convincing in that first half, weren't they?
1: Yeah, I don't think Sheffield United had a shot. I think their XG at half time was zero because they just couldn't get out of the half. And when they did, they were rushing and trying to make sure that they made it count. But Diaz read everything in that in that first half, and I think sometimes when City are on top and just passing it around, they're criticised for being a little bit boring, a bit slow, and nothing's happening. But they're always working; they're always just trying to work out what's happening in that defence and trying to to uh, to find that way through. I think I saw a thing from that Michael Richards did on match of the day, and he was saying that Sheffield United put five behind the ball on three in midfield. They were doubling up on Grealish. They were tripling up on Harland and making him have to work so much harder to even get the ball when it came in the box and City were resorted to, to crossing which they're not necessarily used to especially when they're playing two number tens as they have done for the last couple of games so I think it was just a case of trying to work it out and City always remain calm sometimes they get an early goal like they did against Burnley sometimes they don't if they'd scored the penalty which was thoroughly deserved on the balance of play then they would have probably run out two three no winners I think because then Sheffield United would have had to come out but Haaland misses the, the crowd gets behind the team it's it just becomes a bit tetchy and I mean the end of the first half when you know the referee stopping it for pushes and shoves and uh, free kicks and hauling backs and I was just I didn't want that hard to end because it was really it was just enjoyable with all the the sort of mind games going on between the sides and you know, when City are sort of against it a little bit and you can see time going on and they, they haven't scored, they have to find other ways to win. And it seems like at half time, you know, Pep Guardiola's on the phone, they, they changed something. I think Lillo said that they had to get um, through the middle more and they had to get Bernardo and Alvarez with a bit more time to do what they had to do. He said in the first half, Bernardo and Grealish and Alvarez were getting dragged out of position. To try and find the space. In the second half, City were just more relentless, kept coming, got the goal that they deserved. Grealish, I thought, was did really well to stand the ball up for for Haaland. He'd missed a few chances, but he was never going to miss that header. And then, you know, it looks like City are going to get a get a good one nil away when doesn't happen. They've conceded the equalizer. Kyle Walker inexplicably back heels when he could just let it go out for corner or or a goal kick. I don't know. I, I do you know what? Kyle Walker was desperate to score and desperate to be the hero in that game. He was shooting from everywhere. Um, but yeah, I think the, the calmness that City showed after the game to to get that winner, uh, they kept on going the butt, Phil Foden on. It was just good game management all the way through. And I said, I think I wrote in our blog on on about the hour mark, I said, this feels like the Nottingham Forest game at the start of the year, where City are missing a few chances. Haaland's missed a sitter. You know, they've not got everything going the way. They've only got one goal. The, the home crowd are gradually getting behind them despite having not much of the ball. In that game, Forrest got an equaliser. No more time to get to find a winner for City this time. City did what they had to do, which I suppose is progress of some sort, isn't it?
0: It is, mate. Yeah, it is. And it's it's... It's a, th- it's, a th- it's a it's a hallmark of champions. It definitely is, and, and we're all used to City sort of having a slowish start, and it's been anything but so far. That momentum and consistency has just been evident, hasn't it so far? And yeah, the the, the I agree, and it almost felt like the Arsenal game at the, the back end of last season when Rodri got the winner, and it was backs against the wall there as well. And um, but yeah, the Forest game is very very similar to that as well. What we what was your take on um, Foden not starting? Because for me, that was. I was quite surprised. I thought in the first half, maybe the creativity and, and the guile really from from midfield wasn't really there. I thought it was a little bit lateral. I thought Kovacic was making the, the, those fantastic runs. I thought he was brilliant yesterday, Kovacic. He was up there with Diaz for me. Um but I, I just felt maybe that that innovativeness from that central spot where Foden was picking up those spaces against Newcastle wasn't really there. I don't know if you don't know if you sort of agree with that sentiment.
1: Yeah, it's tricky because when Foden plays as well as he did against Newcastle, it's hard to drop him. But when you've got Bernardo coming back in, he's probably a bit more natural playing in. If you're going to play the same system of two number 10s and Kyle Walker providing the the width on the right, I think Bernardo is probably a bit more natural in that position to play in between the the lines between the fullback and the centre-back. He did it last season coming in off the right. So I can... I can see why, from a tactical point of view, Bernardo started. Then it turns out that Foden had stomach problems and couldn't start the game. So mm. it, it makes even more sense. Um, yeah, it's a tricky one with Foden because he played so well. Everyone wants him to play number 10. If he doesn't start there, all the eyes are on him. Um, but I think when he came on after the uh, the equaliser... Sheffield United were terrified of him. He wasn't quite playing in the number 10. He was playing a bit more wide and Bernardo came inside and the, the shape changed a little bit. But, um, hes I mean, Foden set up a chance for Alvarez that Alvarez should have scored immediately after the goal. He's in the middle. I mean, they'll get an assist for the, the Rodri goal. I'm not really sure he knew too much about it with his sort of mishit shot of his own that fell into Rodri's path. But um, to say that he didn't start and Bernardo's back and there's just another another obstacle in his way to play number 10 now. He did quite well after coming on, so he's, uh, it felt like a step backwards that he didn't start. And then his cameo, he was actually one of the more influential players on the on the pitch, even though he only played about 10 minutes in all.
0: I think the thing with him as well, Joe, is it's, it's really similar to Bernardo. They just constantly want the ball. And I think that must be an absolute nightmare for a midfielder, let's say a midfielder, who's I don't know just tracking... Phil Foden or tracking Bernardo, they're always moving. They're constantly moving towards the ball, and they're confident in any any situation, any tight space, any pocket. They don't care. They just want the ball consistently. And I think that's got to be a nightmare for people up against Foden and Bernardo. And I felt like when he came on, it was just evident. I mean, the amount of touches he had in in the first sort of like I think it was like two or three minutes he was on, it was just like this guy's going to make a difference.
1: Yeah, definitely, and I, th- I think it suited him more to come off the bench, even if he was fully fit. I could see City have started with Bernardo for the sort of to, to get the shape and to yeah. pin Sheffield United back and keep things ticking, and then you can bring a player like Phil Foden on against a tired defence. That feels a bit a bit better. We've seen Foden maybe get a little bit lost in some of these games where there's eight or nine men behind the ball. I'm not saying he can't do it. Newcastle put a lot of players behind the ball, and he was he was brilliant, and he he made the goal, and he was a man of the match deservedly. So I think it's just something he's got to learn. If if he did have a stomach bug, that probably made the, made the decision a bit easier. But um, I I also quite like the system of playing Alvarez in there as well because it just gives the defense another another thing to think about. Um, so having that dual number ten role, I don't know what will happen when Doku comes in the side, for example, on 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 the right because this system with two number 10s relies on Kyle Walker doing everything up and down that right flank it's not going to work against every side but I do quite I quite like having those two behind Harland if you've not got Kevin De Bruyne who can do all of that in once and and Ilkay Gundogan was also sort of a box-to-box player at times having two number 10s is is quite useful for City at the moment I can see it carrying on at least for another few weeks until the sort of squad settles down in terms of injuries and and uh, illness and and you know, signings coming in and that sort of thing.
0: Were you sort of disappointed that we didn't see uh, Jeremy
1: Doku? Uh, yes, I thought he would come on, but I think the game didn't need him at that time. Possibly he could have come on after the the equaliser. I think, yeah, say City scored the penalty, Haaland scored the second, and it's it's a bit more of an open game, then it's a, it's a good one to throw Doku into. But when City need a, need a winner or need to see out that win, it's probably not the one you want to throw a, a new signing into. What you want to throw him in for his debut in a game where he doesn't have to have much pressure on him. And I think um, I think Lillo said that before the game. He said he's ready, but we don't want to put the pressure on him. And you know he's he essentially said he's got to adapt to City rather than City will modify to him. So that means that. He will naturally have to have a bit of learning, and on the training pitch, he's only had a couple of training sessions until that point. So, um, I'm, no, I wasn't really surprised. They didn't make any subs again. Which, again, oh no, sorry, they did. Of course, they didn't make any yeah. subs until the uh, the equaliser. Which we were saying, could they have brought someone on? But it's it's a young bench at the moment. Foden was the most experienced player on that bench. Which he's not a very experienced player. He's won a lot. And he's he's played a lot for for a twenty three year old, but he's still only twenty three. So I think that just shows the options that City have at the moment. So yeah, I can see why they didn't bring Doku on, but yeah, maybe against Fulham at ne- next weekend and the the games coming up. There'll be a few cup games coming up in the in the autumn. I think that'll be the time that we'll we'll see Doku.
0: Yeah, the the only way I saw. Um... I saw a substitution at, at one point. Obviously, Foden came on, but the only substitution I thought at one point was Rico Lewis for Carl Walker's head loss. <laughs>
1: <I> just thought
0: <laughs> he's he's that. As I moved, touched on it, mate, But I mean, he was, he was so good after that goal as well. I mean, he, he made a surging run down the right as we spoke, as we you know alluded to Alvarez missing, but he was key in the goal as well. But the the head loss. I was I was watching it. I was thinking there could even be a, a suggestion here that Rico Lewis comes on. It was it was. I just don't know what he was thinking. Like, I, I can't. It, just a back heel there is like maybe overconfidence, Joe. I don't really know.
1: Well, that's the kind of the time of the game where we're writing our pieces and we're not watching the full game, really. We're sort of looking up when we hear something. So I see Kyle Walker ushering a ball out, and I, I looked down again, and suddenly the ball's bounced into Bogle, and he smashed it in the back of the net. And I didn't know how it had got to from Walker being in full control of the ball to you know Sheffield United equalising. And I looked at the replay; I, was, I couldn't believe what he'd done. And yeah, I don't think that was his wisest move, but he, he did have a good game, and I thought he's he's been quite important in the uh, in that role in the last two games, as I say, providing that width. So. We can uh, we can probably let him off, and if he goes up the other end and plays a key role in the in the winner, fair enough, I think. I think he I
0: think as well, I don't know if he caught this, but when the goal went in the second, he he was on obviously the, the byline and he went like that mm-hmm. to the Man City fans, as in like sorry, I, I apologize. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is which is quite a nice touch to be honest, because you can uh, tell enough, yeah. he, he was desperate to make amends, you know. Yeah. But, um someone who would also what a uh, segue Joe Bray. I don't even know if <laughs> I'm doing it sometimes, but someone who someone You're who um, <laughs> also probably wanted to make um amends. Erling Haaland, a mixed bag for him. A very odd day. Uh, he looked visibly frustrated um, as the as the halftime whistle blew. But um, and once again, someone with the celebration who was almost like he, he gave a few sign. It's like thank God. Um, but it, yeah, mixed bag for him. I thought he occupied the defender as well, got his goal, but obviously was quite unlucky with the penalty.
1: Yeah, I mean you saw his celebration, he, he wasn't happy, he was just thank God for that was his the message on his face, wasn't it? And you know, people jumping on him from the crowd and city fan city players jumping on him, but he didn't seem delighted that he'd uh, he'd scored that goal. But I don't think it was a bad performance. He's he struck his penalty well and it's come off the inside of the post. It happens. It's it's not like he's he's skied it or he's 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 fluffed his lines, he's sent the keeper the wrong way, he's, he's hit it well. It's just just unlucky and I think a couple of the other chances he's had, they're not far off. It's not like he's hes really been, his, his radar's been completely off. Uh, it just happened that he kept getting chances and, and they kept going wide. And uh, I think Lillo said after the game, you know, it would have been difficult for any striker because the way Sheffield United sort of manhandled him, even towards the end of that first half, he was getting really frustrated with the treatment he got. And I think he wanted a second penalty for, for a, a pull or a tug in the box. And... To be fair, I think Sheffield United are one of the most effective defenses against Harland because in the cup semi-final uh, last season, barely got a sniff. Yes, Riyad we Mahrez went and scored a hat trick, but they were effective in in keeping Haaland quiet, and they uh, they did the same uh, in that game. The thing with Harland is you can only give him, you know, half a second. To, to take your eye off him and and he scored a goal and that's what he did and he just there's one little step he takes as Grealish is taking on his man and that gives him the space to, to uh, rise highest and, and head in and that's what he does because he never gives up and I think yeah Lillo said um, it shows not just because he scored he came close on other occasions it shows his mental fortitude to keep going and going it's really difficult to find he's a young lad and his mindset is so good that yes he missed the penalty but he, he kept going and you know Guardiola said similar in the past as soon as a chance goes he's on to the next chance and he wants to score it and even though he had two players you know within touching distance of him at all times he still managed to to get a goal and I think he deserves credit for that because it must have been a one of the toughest afternoons he's had as a City player I think.
0: We've seen it though in multiple times with him haven't we we've seen him have difficult moments and you know Everyone's always subjecting him to. Ah, he's not the same player as he was a game ago, or he's not the same player as he was last season. And it's it's just one of those things, really, where he keeps scoring. And when he when he keeps scoring, <laughs> it, it doesn't mean anything, you know. It's always funny with Messi, isn't it? Messi's out of out of a game. Ah, oh, Messi's not turned up. Messi's this. Messi's that, and then he'll just turn up in a moment and produce a moment of magic. And yes, it wasn't a moment of magic for Erling Haaland, different to Messi, but he's still an out and out goal scorer. And you know that's why it must be a nightmare for teams. Joe, again, we're speaking about Foden and Bernardo. How that's a nightmare for teams, but Erling Haaland must just be a focus nightmare for defenders as well. Like, because the concentration has to be has to be an optimal point for ninety minutes.
1: Yeah, I'm just trying to find. I think Paul Heckingbottom said something. He was like, he was asked, "How well did you keep Haaland quiet?" And he basically said, "Well, we did, but he scored." <laughs> yeah, because it they did really well to stop him and frustrate yeah. him. But he so he, he found that one chance and he still scored. So um, now he, he's that kind of player, isn't he? How many other players across the, the strikers across the Premier League would have missed a penalty, missed a few chances, and just get frustrated and either get substituted or just you know zone out and and not do it, Haaland? Made a point of of uh, of doing that and, and scoring that goal, and he's come away with a goal. He might not be happy with his overall performance, but he's got a goal and City have got a win, so he's got to be happy with that.
0: It's great for my fantasy team as well. So yeah, bonus points we there. Need, needed um, it after that missed penalty. Oh, shocking! Absolutely, another horrible <laughs> weekend. The horrible weekend, but we'll get into that at some point. But um, let's talk about Rodri, shall we? Um, <laughs> I'm just. It's got to a point now where I don't really know what more to say about the guy. I mean, for a defensive midfielder to be, I was saying this on a video on the channel yesterday, for him to just be a, a real big problem for the opposing team, um, even in the attacking capacity, it's very rare. Like, Rodri is such a clean striker of the ball. And when he gets into that offensive third, he's is as much of a problem as a lot of City's midfield players, you know, in an attacking capacity and just showed it yesterday. I mean, that finish, again, Joe, what a finish.
1: Yeah, he doesn't score normal goals, does he? And he doesn't score (laughs) insignificant goals. They're always late winners or, you know, he smashed him in from the edge of the box. Um, He's got two goals and two assists already this season. which is
0: (laughs) From from defensive midfield
1: as well. For a defensive midfielder. Um, Yeah, no, he's... it's weird, we were saying he wasn't wasn't having his best game and it's similar to the Champions League final, he wasn't having his best game and then he pops up with a, a really important winner um, he was saying after the game, it was quite interesting he was saying that because Kovacic is there, he has a bit more licence to go forward and because of the two number 10s and Haaland and the two wingers, the defence were occupied so he, he had a lot of space to run onto it and hit the ball, he had a few few efforts where he he tried to use that to his advantage and have a shot, and they uh, they were either saved or went wide or over. But he, he kept going, and he he found that pocket and turned up on on the moment when City needed it. And he he does that a lot, and he's just he is consistent, isn't he? Even when he drops slightly below his ridiculously high standards, he'll pop up with a goal and 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 still make make good of his game. And it's uh, I I don't think. This is controversial to say that there's no better defensive midfielder in the league or in Europe because he's he's it's the consistency more than anything. And if he can now add goals to his game, which he said he wants to do, he's he's clearly looked at Kovacic coming in and saying, yeah, this is something that I can do this season. If he can add goals like that uh, to his game, and even if he scores 10 a season, which he's probably on track to do, he becomes even, even better a defensive midfielder, which uh, is quite scary for the rest of the league.
0: Yeah, it is, mate. It is. um, What a player. Just what a player. I can't can't get over how Mm -hmm. good he is. Every time you watch him, I just think to myself, I mean, I think we've said it. I, I said it to Si as well. Is he City's most important player? Because you feel like with De Bruyne out, they can compensate for that. They can, you know, they can still replace that. You know, you look at Haaland, it wouldn't be ideal. Of course it wouldn't, but maybe Alvarez could go up there. He's got an incredible amount of goal contributions for the amount of minutes he's played. With Rodri, you probably look at maybe Kovacic dropping a little bit deeper if he was to be absent from the side. But if you're going for a straight swap, it's like Calvin Phillips, it's Rico Lewis. The standard drops so far, doesn't it? Like he's got to be, I mean, he is for me, in my opinion, he's the most important player.
1: Yeah, it's hard to argue that. And it? Last season... We saw it even in the the cup games against championship opposition. Rodri started because Phillips wasn't up to the level and there was no one else who could play that role. And even when Haaland was getting rested, De Bruyne, all these key players, when the fixtures were three games a week, Rodri was playing every single time because Guardiola couldn't afford not to play him because he is so important and he he keeps City ticking. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting this season to see how he does with someone next to him. We saw it a little bit towards the end of last season with the, you know, John Stones or the fullbacks coming in to to support him in possession. But if you've now got uh, Rodri and Kovacic basically playing as a double pivot, which a few years ago would have struck fear into City fans with the uh, sort of Rodri Fernandino combination, which never seemed to work. Rodri's come on so much, the the rest of the team have to allow that to work. And now you've got a player like Kovacic who is clearly. A very good player and very experienced, and has sort of slotted in quite well. Um, I think it could be a uh, just a, an, an extra evolution of of the midfield and of Rodri, which uh, is quite exciting. And uh, yeah, if he's if he's more than just a sole defensive midfielder, he's uh, he's got the talent to do it, and he's got the the strike to to add some goals. He uh, he can definitely do it. But I think the key this season will be resting him where possible. He can do it now because they're playing once a week. When it comes to you know, the business end of the season when they're playing a lot, it might need Kovacic to play a bit more in defensive midfield. Even if John Stones plays there a few times, who knows, Calvin Phillips might turn around and suddenly become a, a city standard player. They need to have those alternative options as the season progresses. But for now, yeah, I, I agree with you. Rodri's definitely the first name on the team sheet. Yeah,
0: 100%. Guys, we're going to leave it there for Act One. Join us in Act Two, and we'll be talking Lilo, we'll be talking Alvarez, and um, potentially fantasy football as well. We'll see you in a sec. Hey, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Talking City podcast, uh, and um, let's just jump straight into it. Joe um, Lilo didn't like Pep not being there. I think that was, I think I think that was obvious. He seems like such a nice man, and um, he didn't. He, he, he almost didn't want to take sort of any. Praise for the result obviously you know because it's I mean everything comes through Pep doesn't it but yeah, I guess he's the guy on the on the touchline but he seemed very unassuming there very sort of like meek and mild and and yeah he was saying in the post-match press conference I'm paraphrasing here but you know it's almost not the same without Pep's presence there and uh yeah it was it was quite a nice sort of credit to Pep Guardiola wasn't it
1: Yeah, we were were trying to find out how it worked with Guardiola and what his feelings were. And, you know, I'd asked him, did you talk to Guardiola and what input did he have? And then the next question was, are you enjoying this, being stepping up and being number one? And he was speaking in Spanish and it was being translated, but we all knew what nada, nada, nada meant. It it was, I am not enjoying this this at all. I need Pep back. Um, He basically said Pep is irreplaceable, that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah. He seems like a lovely guy. He's uh, very apologetic that he's not speaking in English. He's, um, you know, saying thank you and hello when he when he comes in. It would be really interesting to see him in a sort of extended role in this role, but at the same time, City need Guardiola. And he, he'd said before the game, hadn't he, that City are not a machine. They need someone to sort of guide them and tell them what to do. And it was Guardiola on the phone at all times and fully involved in the uh, in the build-up for this game. But it was Lillo on the pitch and it struck me we were high in the main stand directly above the dugouts. I didn't see Lillo for the first 45 minutes. He was sat in his seat, didn't come out once. There was nobody in that technical area for City, even when there was a stoppage in play for injury. You know, Paul Heckingbottom called basically all of his outfield players over um, for a debrief. Normally you would see Guardiola doing exactly the same and he'd always have something to say to his players there was no one in the technical area, City players were just wandering around, Diaz and Walker were having a conversation among themselves about something tactically, but there was no guidance from the manager in the second half. Lillo was there. Actually, Lillo raced out for the for a penalty shout at the end of the first half when it was getting a bit touchy and that was the first we saw of him, but after the break, I don't know whether Guardiola said, listen, you need to be sort of cheerleading them on and offering guidance that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah he was there he was applauding them he was as city's intensity grew in that second half lillo was also there on on the sidelines and uh he said yeah pep was in constant uh communication but when there was stoppage in the second half everyone was over and lillo did what pep does and, and was telling them what to do i thought that was just a, an interesting side note of a reminder that he is often the the one at the side the calming influence the the assistant rather than the leader and i think he was trying to play that role in the first half, just trying to keep it steady and keep it as everything normally goes to minimise the disruption, but maybe they needed someone on the sidelines like Pep. They're used to someone, you know, right on the case and telling them what they've done wrong, telling them what they need to do. And in the second half, they did that. And I don't think it's a surprise that the performance was a bit better. But yeah, no, he said he said after the game, he wouldn't didn't want to sit in Pep's seat because Pep's still the boss he only sat there because there wasn't enough space and uh, he's he's an interesting character and we'll get to hear more from him on Friday but um, you can see just in the little glimpses we've had why Pep Guardiola likes having him there because he's completely different, he is the opposite to Guardiola and uh, sometimes that's I think what the intensity of Guardiola needs is someone just to calm him down and look at the bigger picture and I think Lillo did that but you could see during the game that he had to sort of adapt and be like, okay, we, we still need a Guardiola presence on the sideline. So, uh, yeah, I don't think he'll be uh, taking over Pep anytime soon, but he's he did, a, from the outside, he did a, a decent job in uh, keeping things sticking on, on Sunday. I guess
0: that's why you have your on-field leaders, isn't it? You're talking about Diaz, you're talking about Walker, there's Rodri conducting everything as well and that's why it's so important because in these very niche moments, these players on the pitch, I mean, there's obviously Pep who's on the sidelines who's screaming orders at them if they're doing stuff wrong, but ultimately plays dictated by the players on the pitch and and the mentality on the pitch, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and that's another thing that he was sort of asked about, that the, city, the system and the players essentially know what they're doing. And I think we saw that, especially first half, without much sort of cheerleading from the side. Um, city had to sort of do that themselves and, and work out the spaces and they weren't getting much instructions to, to tweak things not obviously anyway. Um, in the second half they were and it was probably a bit of a backup of what Lillo said, which is they do need a someone on the, someone to guide them and tell them what to do. But when you've got players like Walker, Diaz, Rodri, like you say, all these players who've, who've played that system for a long time, they can see those things surely and you could see the, the team working it out as they went and just carried on working the spaces and, Moving the defense from side to side. So, um, as much as they do need a, someone to tell them what to do, there is a degree of, of sort of an inbuilt knowledge of exactly what Guardiola wants, even when he's a thousand miles away in Barcelona. Yeah, we touched on it a little bit earlier on, and you were mentioning the number
0: tens, um, Alvarez. I think I think you've put on. We, we've we've spoken a little bit. I think you're of the mindset that he did quite well i don't know i don't know i'm still not 100 percent convinced on him there i don't know what it is it feels like there's just a little bit of a spark missing um there's a graph there isn't he but i just wonder if that is the position for him I, I don't know i don't know if he just needs to be a bit further forward i'm not sure but you, you seem to think he did he did pretty well yesterday
1: yeah i don't think he was perfect um he he missed that chance obviously which you need to be scoring, or at least getting on target when, uh, when you've got someone like Harland in front of you. In an ideal world, he's the main striker, and he's he's done quite well when he when he plays that sort of lone striker role. But he's never going to displace Erling Harlan because Harlan scores more goals than him and is crucial to how City play. Um, I think in that context, having Harlan uh, having Alvarez, sorry, as as a number ten has been quite useful. It's quite revealing that whenever, whenever Kevin De Boyne was out last season, Alvarez was the first one that was picked. It wasn't Foden, it wasn't Bernardo, it wasn't Gundogan doing that role. It was it was Alvarez playing behind Haaland because just having him in those pockets behind, just in front of the defenders, just gives them something else to think about. And he's always moving, he's, he's picking the ball up in, in various places. I think as his year at City has gone on, he's Learned a lot of how Grealish plays. For example, he's he works quite well with him. He's he's working with the wingers. His relationship with Haaland is quite good. He started every single game this season, and he's m- maybe not scored as many goals. He scored the winner against um, against Newcastle, for example. He would have had an assist if you like if if Haaland has scored that penalty. I think he's an absolute nuisance for defenders. And I quite like him. I think it helps him as well as it helps Foden and Bernardo to have them as a, a sort of dual number 10 because it's just another player to play with in those short passes and moving and keeping the defenders guessing. So everyone was talking about how good Foden was against Newcastle. It wouldn't have happened for me if Alvarez wasn't there as well doing the dirty work and offering him the pass all the time and making those runs to free the space up. And he did that for Bernardo. I think Lillo said after the game that freeing up Alvarez in that second half and stopping them from moving around positions was the key to to getting that goal and getting on top. Um, So yeah, not the perfect game. There's a couple of times where he gave the ball away or he made the wrong pass. There were also a couple of times where he's come deep and he's laid the ball off to Kovacic and opened up the space, which you want your number 10 to do. So I think it's a very encouraging start to the season for him. And it's quite telling that he started every game. Grealish didn't start the first game. Foden didn't start this a couple of games. Bernardo's not been there, but Bernardo hasn't started it either. We're talking about Foden as a number 10, but it seems like Alvarez is first choice at the moment and he's done that quite quietly. And I think he does the work for the team that might not result in a, the fancy things that you see on Match of the Day, but I think I can see why the coaches really like him saying that he'll probably get benched on uh, on Saturday and Foden will return and it'll be Foden and Bernardo in number 10 but no I, I really like Alves I, I, I've always thought he's been a, a hard worker and does the dirty work and like you say his, his goals figures are really good for the fact that he's always coming off the bench or he's, he's not playing in his proper position
0: yeah, and we've seen that dirty work being, involved, being like um, attributed to Grealish's game as well, haven't we? And I think that's the reason Grealish is, is starting most weeks. And obviously, we, you know, we saw the season before last that he was really, really struggling. Um, and maybe it's because he didn't have that. Not like he didn't have the work ethic, but he didn't have the Pep Guardiola work ethic, which just seems to be at an insane standard. And once again, it's not to say Foden doesn't have that, but it just feels like Alvarez has... He's, he's nailed with Alvarez, isn't it? And maybe Foden's still a little bit not on Pep's right wavelength when it comes to, I don't know, maybe work rate and stuff like that. It feels a little bit like that because on ability, there's, there's not much between them, is there?
1: No, I think Foden's got more of a spark. I think Foden's someone who can change a game on his own. But I think over the course of a few games, I think Alvarez might be the one you want. I quite like both of them together. I think if you have if that's a tactic that continues for a few weeks, I think both of them will score a lot of goals and create a lot of chances for Haaland. I think Haaland enjoys having them both there because the defenders have something else to think about rather than uh, rather than just marking him. Or the defensive midfielders do, and that frees up someone like Rodri to create space. What Alvarez does is he creates space for others, which is very uh, important in the City side as well. So um, I don't think it's a negative... Uh, shout on Foden that Alvarez is starting. I just think it's Alvarez is probably doing what the coaches want a little bit more rather than uh, Foden. We've seen it with players like Bernardo when he's not necessarily had the the headline stats to shout about, but he's been doing that work. Grealish hasn't always returned the goals and assists that especially fans have wanted, but he's done that hard work, like you say, for for a long time and helps just helps keep the pressure on defences um and maybe that's what Alvarez's role is going to be this season
0: Hmm, definitely and like I've just mentioned as well that the balance in that midfield um between Rodri and Kovacic seems to be perfect doesn't it I mean I I mean you probably got this from the podcast but I absolutely love Kovacic and I think his his game looks to be evolved already looks to uh, I don't know like I've said in society like he, he seems to be a bit of a he was asked at uh, Chelsea a lot, in my opinion, to to defend a lot, and I think you can utilise a lot of his abilities driving in the midfield. And I think we saw that in the first half, particularly a free kick on the edge of the box and he just, he, you know, he just marched through that midfield. And his his progressive ability on the ball is very very good and quite underrated. And yeah, we've seen a, a different side to him at as, as City from what we saw at Chelsea, but it seems to be working so far, doesn't it, Joe?
1: Yeah, he's not had a bad game yet. I think. You've said that you're not too keen on Alvarez in that role, and I've said I am. I'm not fully convinced on Kovacic yet. I don't, as I say, he's not had a bad game, but he doesn't quite look like everything's happening naturally to him. It's like he's having to think about what he's got to do every time. Luckily, he's a very, very good player, so he often makes the right choice. I think some of his runs from deep into sort of the edge of the area positions. We've not really seen that from a City player in the last few years. So that's that's something new and it's given people uh, different things to think about. I think he's only getting better as well. Every every game he has, he's getting better. He was the one who found Foden in, in space against Newcastle, which created the goal. He's working well with other players. And uh, I mean, Rodri said after the game that because he's got Kovacic next to him, Rodri can go forward again. So, He's he's changing the midfield, he's he's make he's creating different options. And I've yeah, I don't think he's a bad player and he's had a bad start at all. I just you get the feeling he can get better, I think, is is what I'm trying to say. And that's quite exciting because once he fully clicks into the the city mindset and everything's second nature to him, I think he's gonna be it's gonna be like you know, uh, a player who's been there for years, and that's what you want from a new signing. We're, we're looking at Guardiola and Doku, who probably need a bit more time to to adapt. I don't think Kovacic will need that time. He's good enough as he is to to make an impact the way he's playing, and then as he slowly adapts to to the sort of demands of and the intricacies of Guardiola's system, I think he can get even better. So, yeah, he's he's done a, he's done very well, but some something feels like he's it's not quite there at the moment but to say that it's not quite there and he's doing well can only mean good things for City.
0: Yeah, I think it's an extra touch. I think it's an extra touch mm-hmm. where there doesn't need to be an extra touch and I think yeah, what, you get, like that. what you get from Rodri and what you get from De Bruyne is in any single passage of play um, obviously in possession they seem to know without looking where mm-hmm. each and everybody is on that pitch especially the wingers and I think yeah, it's it's those sequences and those patterns of players in it that with, over time is going to develop. But like you just said, Joe, I mean, if he's taking that extra touch now and still looking very good, then it's it's not a bad yeah. indictment.
1: Yeah, no, I think he's um, he was always a good player at Chelsea, but maybe he fell under the radar because there were a few more flashy players or Chelsea just weren't having the best of times in the last couple of seasons. But there's a reason he's got, is it, four Champions Leagues under his belt? He's... He's he's a winner. He's he's a good player, and he's played for some of the biggest clubs in Europe. And uh, he seems to fit in different systems. And he's you you can see that sort of football brain is there. And you know, a few people might have questioned why City signed him, but he's he's looking a a very good buy at twenty five million, especially when the going rate for a a midfielder in that position is one hundred million at the moment. It is indeed.
0: Um, Guys, we're going to leave it there. Uh, We're going to be back with Act 3 in just a moment where we promise we will talk about fantasy football towards the back end of it. We're going to be talking transfers, ins and outs at Manchester City as well. Don't go to any. We'll see you in a bit. Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Talking City podcast. Uh, Joe Bray, transfers, transfers, transfers. What can you tell us?
1: Uh, I can tell you it's a deadline on Friday. So whatever City wants to do is has to be done by Friday. Um, it seems like they still want a midfielder. Uh, Gary O'Neill at Wolves confirmed that City had, had a, a bid rejected for Mateus Nunes. Reports of another bid going in, it seems like, City still want that extra body in midfield. We've been talking about the options and how the midfield is changing. It could be that they, they want to add another another player, maybe another defensive-minded player. I mean, Nunes can do the defensive and the attacking, but I would say he's a little bit more um, of a sort of player that you'd have around the Rodri and Kovacic role rather than further, behind, for, further up in behind Haaland. If he signs, then... City have have to do that quickly. I think the week will be more yeah, about... Joe, 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 do you like that as a signing or not? It seems it's a bit of an unusual one, isn't it? Well, we know Pep likes him. When they played uh, sporting in the Champions League, he made the point of saying, uh, this is a very good player and he doesn't always do that. He then went to Wolves. So I think the, the sort of attention on him from a City perspective may have died down a bit. I genuinely don't know. But as I said before, I wasn't too sure on Kovacic and he's fit in. I think they probably do need another body. It seems like they're not too convinced with with Calvin Phillips even after a, a pre-season. So if they want just an extra body, they're only one injury away from another sort of injury crisis in, in midfield. So I can see why. I just, yeah, I think it's going to have to be one of those in-pet-we-trust transfers because it feels a bit of a reactive signing it doesn't feel like they went out to get him at the start of a start of the summer but listen last season we didn't think Manu Akanji was going to sign and this time last year he came in for a decent a good fee and turned out to be a key player in in the treble side so it could be a, a maybe a questionable signing on paper or a signing that isn't you know doesn't fully compete or fit into that city side from sort of an immediate look but you know City are a team and Guardiola is a manager who can make new signings work and uh, I think that's the category it would fit into if it if it did
0: Yeah definitely Um rumours were circulating last week about Eberice Eze I was definitely getting like a bit excited for that in a man's city system I think Eze is a fantastic player but Nunes is yeah, it's an interesting one, a really interesting one. That one, and I'd like you to say, if if he's liked him before, which you know Pep sort of said as, and like you just quite rightly said, then um, you know you got to trust in that, haven't you? And, and Kovacic is a really good example. Like kanji's is a brilliant example, of course, and just Pep we trust. Um, I guess. I mean, is are you thinking about? I mean, we just spoke about Nunes and you mentioned this player, but in a central midfield capacity, are you thinking exit-wise there could be any more? Are we talking Calvin Phillips? What What's your prediction for the remainder of the window?
1: I think Phillips will be an interesting one because he's not played yet this season. It seems like there's been no progress and, you know, Kovacic has come in straight away and looks fairly at home in that city midfield. We touched on his pros and cons, but he started every game and, hasn't looked bad at all, Phillips has now had a year and still doesn't look at home. And if if we're putting a slight question mark on Kovacic for taking that extra touch, then Phillips is still getting the ball, looking around and doesn't know where to pass it. And you would expect more from someone who's been at the club for a year. Like this time last year, Grealish was in his second season and was starting to look a little bit better and like he'd really kicked on. We've not had the chance to see Phillips do that. So um, he said he wants to fight for his place. He's made it clear that he wants to be a city player. So unless that stance has changed, then I'm not too sure if he'll move on. I think I think it'll be more young players. You know, uh, Taylor Howard, Bellis, and Tommy Doyle both won promotion from the Championship last year. Both won the under twenty one Euros, and both are sort of in a bit of limbo at the moment. They're not in the city squad. They've they've not really got any loan moves or. Uh, permanent transfers potentially lined up it, you would expect that both of them will would need a club this season so they might be ones to look out for and then you've got Cole Palmer James McAtee played a lot in pre-season Palmer's scored in the uh, in the Super Cup but there are question marks over will they get enough minutes this season and will they look for either a low move or, or a permanent move so yeah I think it's going to be a busy week in the last few years we've not really Sort of seen much activity, and towards the end of the uh, the transfer windows last year, we saw Ikanji and Sergio Gomez arrive. I think this year will be maybe a bit of work in the uh, in the offices at City to to make something happen and just perfect that squad and just get it right after a summer that's been a bit more unpredictable than previous years
0: yeah 100% I, I think it's going to be I think it's actually going to be a lot of movement But if, if you're just predicting it you know with, with especially with the low moves like you just said Cole Palmer I feel like his career needs to kick on at some point now I know he's mentioned stick it like wanting to play uh McAtee as well he was just so good for Sheffield United you can't have me and Sai we're talking about this you can't really have another year on the bench where you may be going to feature once or twice in cup games um I, I think the, when you know, you've know you done a James McAtee and a Tommy Doyle and you've had good seasons, you know, similar to like, you know, Callum Doyle, who's gone obviously on on, on loan to, you know, Leicester City. It's like you, you need that continuous development. And Taylor Harwood-Bellis is another one. It's like brilliant season at Burnley. Let's continue that development. It's like, it feels like if you just, I understand the experience thing. Of course, I've been on the bench, been with the City lads and obviously getting that with like Oscar Bob. Um, but it just feels like they need that kick on now, don't they?
1: Yeah, and I think they'll be looking at sort of a former Academy teammates who are getting regular games. Romeo Lavia spent a year at Southampton and now he's a £60 million Chelsea player. You you only take one one good move and then you get a really good move. And I also I'm I'm a little bit shocked that no one's come in for these players because Howard Bellis has just helped Burnley to the championship title. He's captain England to the Euros. And we've not heard his name at all. He's a very good young English centre back. Surely there's a market out there for him. And you also think that a club would be able to spend 10, 15 million on him and then make a lot of money on him, similar to Tommy Doyle. He's helped Sheffield United get promoted. Doesn't seem to have been much sort of, of a fight for him, but. I've always thought he'd be a very good top-end championship, lower-end Premier League player in that midfield, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens because I think staying at City when they're not going to get games would be a bit of a sort of a step back for them after really, really good years. So, uh, no, I think for them and their futures, it will be interesting to see what happens for in the last week of the window. Definitely, definitely. Um, Joe Bray, if I was to say Thursday
0: the 31st of October uh, of August, I should say to you, the Grimaldi Forum in Monaco, what would you say? I would say, what are you talking about? And I, and I would respond and say the Champions <laughs> League draw. Uh, the Champions yeah. League draw, obviously it begins again. The reigning champions, Manchester City, um, obviously are going to, uh, you know, figure out their fate on this day. Uh, we've got down on the show notes best and worst scenarios. Um, is it pretty obvious what the best and worst scenarios are, Joe, or is there sort of like some some differentials in there
1: this year? Well, what I did is I suggested that to talking point and then didn't look at what the best and worst scenarios would be. Um, I'm I'm looking at that pot two. So City obviously as winners, the pot one. I'm looking at pot two. They could face Real Madrid, Inter Milan, Dortmund, Atletico Madrid, Leipzig, or Porto. So you're looking at Leipzig and and Porto as as a team you want to face there rather than Real Madrid, Inter Milan, Dortmund, for example. Um, it'd be interesting for Inter Milan again after the after the Champions League final. It it was a very close game, and that would be. A, just to see how both teams would approach that in a sort of group stage setting rather than than a final, because Inter did cause City um, a lot of problems. Pot three could be AC Milan, could be Lazio, Red Star, Red Bull Salzburg, Shakhtar. City fans will say it's guaranteed to be Shakhtar because they always play Shakhtar. Um, I think as long as you avoid Milan and Lazio from there, then you're doing all right. Maybe Red Star-Belgrade would be a bit of a difficult one to go to just with the atmosphere and it's not going to be a simple trip to play a team like that is it and then
0: I think pot, I think I think I think pot four looks quite tasty
1: yeah Union Berlin I think would be a good away day for uh, for City fans Celtic would be an interesting one as well an all British one so she dad it's a shame they've not got uh, David Silver anymore but they're a, they're a very good side and then then it just depends who comes in from the qualifiers and they're all fairly finely poised from the uh, from the first leg. Rangers two two. They could uh, could be in there as well. So, and one of the one of the old firm could be uh, could be an interesting one.
0: Yeah, bringing about 40,000 fans down to the Etihad, that should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that before. Um, yeah, so I think there's definitely some favourable ones there, but yeah, City are going to be obviously the favourites and, and City are going to be the nightmare draw for absolutely everyone, um, which is which is obviously a great position to be in. But we'll end it on um, some fantasy football, Joe. Um, how's your team done this week?
1: I don't want to talk about it. I know it's a podcast. and <laughs> Well, I, I needed... Th- Two players to save me after a bad week and one was Trent Alexander-Arnold who got booked in the first few minutes and the other one was Luis Diaz who got hooked after Van Dijk got sent off. So, I uh, captained Haaland. So, he got his goal, but it wasn't, wasn't perfect. It's just been... I think I've got the average score every week, so not too good, not too bad. Do you know who got my highest
0: score this week? And I brought him in just because I thought to myself... It'll be a good little addition. Chelsea backline. Gusto, at four million quid, got me 14 points this week. The rest, mate, the rest, I think I'm (laughs) averaging at three points, really, across the entire squad. Like, McAllister, McAllister's a bad buy. I might have to transfer Mm. him out. Everyone's getting injured. Botman went off. Akanji not in the squad. Bailey apparently didn't even feature after scoring twice last week. Good. Um, (laughs) Shocking. Absolutely shocking week, so... Yeah, how many points did you get? I'm going to challenge
1: you. I'll have a look. Again, should have prepared this.
0: I was did it, bring was it in. Any, I, was, it, was it anything above 45?
1: No, not at all. Mm-hmm. I uh, I saw John Stones was injured and I thought, right, I'll get rid of him before his price drops. And I bought a kanji in because akanji kanji's been playing in that position and going forward. And then a kanji's ill and misses the game completely. And 35 I got
0: shocker shocker i'm gonna have to oh, much better oh, okay. needed for both of us next week i think i can't even come on here and boast it's been a shocker <laughs> um but guys it's been an absolute pleasure as always we're we're absolutely there's content flying out from us at the minute if you want to check out our youtube channel please do so you can see Uh, mine and joe's tired faces um on this talking city podcast and you can see everything in living color quoting dan murphy um yeah make sure you're liking us and rating us on all of your favorite podcast providers it's been a pleasure we will see you very soon um and we'll see you in a bit cheers